Welcome to Our Lady of Consolation Upper Basilica Walking Tour. My name is Friar John, and I will be working with Friar Tom to escort you to some of the wonderful hidden gems of the Upper Basilica. To begin our audio walking tour, we are going to move forward toward the front of the church in the first pew closest to the altars. You will notice a white marble railing with two gold gates. I invite you to stand right in front of that gate. And when we move on this audio tour, you will hear a sound like this. Time will indicate that it's time to move to the next station. On behalf of the Conventual Franciscans, I just want to welcome you. We have been a presence here at the Shrine and Basilica since 1912, and it's a real honor to have you with us. This is a 45-minute walking tour of the upper level. There's two levels here in the Basilica. We have a, another 45-minute tour of the lower Basilica. Chances are you walked up those 18 steps to come into the vestibule and found out about our audio walking tour. Or you could have taken the elevator up to the top level. Now there is an even better, more detailed tour that's a written walking tour that you're welcome to take advantage of while you're here if you want to go deeper into the material. It would be good if you have earbuds uh, just to uh, respect the people around you that are praying. Or if you do have your cell phone to your ear, just keep your volume down low so we can respect this place of prayer. I am standing right in front of the altar. And as we orient ourselves to the upper basilica, imagine a giant laying on his back. And his feet are pointed to the north right in the entrance of where you came up those big, long steps into the upper basilica. Just his toes would be right below the choir loft. His head would be leaning up against the apse of the church, which is that high dome with Christ the King sitting on his throne. His nose would be the altar where we celebrate Mass, both arms would be spread out in the cruciform shape of the church, or just like Jesus hanging on the cross. His fingertips would be re reaching out to the transepts of the church, right below the, the exit signs. So his feet are in the vestibule, his fingers are in the transepts. The navel button of our giant would go straight up to the dome, and the dome is the nave of the church where the center assembly are. That points to his navel button. The crossings are the four pillars that sur the surround this nave. The pillars, at the, each top of the pillar, we see one of the four evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And those pillars would be where the giant's hips and shoulders would be. 
it helps us orient ourselves where we are in the tour. And I am standing right between the communion rail on top of the Potier Cross. This is a beautiful cross in green marble situated in the floor that looks like two crossed chalices. And this is a very wonderful marking of, of a place where someone has been healed. This has been a place of healing since 1875. And so you will find these beautiful Potier crosses all over the church once you realize what you're looking for. To help orient yourself to the basilica while you're inside, remember our giant laying on its, his back and the feet of the giant face the north. The head of the giant face, faces south and to the west is the left hand of the giant where you see the stars and the stripes flag and to the giant's right hand side is the east side. Our next station that we'll be moving to, I invite you to step inside the sanctuary to come up the three steps uh, between the gate and the communion rail. And we're going to meet on the other side of the main altar in front of the five green steps that are bookended with pink and green pillars to the right and left. You are most welcome to enter into this sanctuary where we can talk more about the high altar. Standing in front of the main altar and looking above the head of our giant, in the apse of the church, we see Christ on his throne. He's sitting on a pillow. He's sitting on a very established throne. And in his right hand, he holds his scepter of power. In his left hand, he holds the world. That it is by the providence of God that everything happens in the world. And two characters that are right at his feet. If you look to his right foot of Christ the King, we see a kneeling warrior who has a sword in his right hand. In his left hand, he has the scales of balance. He has a helmet on and armor. This is an angel looking carefully at his shoulders. You can see those green wings of the angel. And since it's a warrior angel, we know for sure it's St. Michael the Archangel who's fighting for us. On the other side of Christ, to Christ's left foot, we see a woman reaching out to touch the hem of Jesus. And in her right hand, she's holding the hem, pleading for healing from the king, while her left hand is expressing her heartfelt intentions. This is our Blessed Mother who's coming before her son, now Christ the King, and asking him to intercede for all her prayer requests and all the people that ask Mary for help and assistance. It is only by Christ that these things happen. It's only by the divine physician, the Christ our King, that we have these miraculous things that happen right here in the shrine. A wonderful detail right above the head of 
Christ the King, above his crown, you'll see a bird. And the bird has outstretched wings, uniting the two circles, the circle of heaven and, and where the Father lives, and the circle where the Son lives. Uniting the two together, that's the Holy Spirit. And you can see that very unique halo surrounding the head of that bird. A little higher in the, in the epicenter of the apse, we can see the hand of God coming out of the clouds in a blessing gesture with three fingers posted up for the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and two fingers folded back, one for the humanity of Christ and the divinity of Christ, in a blessing gesture that the Heavenly Father is blessing all the good things that are happening here at the shrine of Our Lady of Consolation. Surrounding Jesus are the choir of angels, and each angel has a different purpose, has a different duty, has a different call expressed in their hands. And each angel is holding something different and has a different purpose in the kingdom of heaven in order to work out the will of God. Another marvelous detail at the bottom of the apse, you see some sheep that are walking towards Jesus from the right, towards Jesus from the left. And they are traversing closer to the Lord. And they're departing two buildings on each side. Those buildings are the profile of the Basilica of Our Lady of Consolation. The sheep depart from the church and are going out in peace. Just like after every Mass, we're encouraged to go out and make a difference in the world. So these faithful sheep are heading out into the world. A wonderful depiction of the kingdom of heaven that we have to look high to see it in this awesome and wonderful worship space. From the head of St. Michael the Archangel, having an arc over to the head of the Blessed Mother Mary, we find Latin words outlined in brown that say, Fortitudo meo et laus meo dominus et factus est mihi en salutem, which means the Lord is my strength and my salvation. We sing that psalm response many times throughout the year in Mass, and it's a wonderful uh, message to keep in mind for the faithful that it is the strength of Jesus Christ our Lord that allows us to claim our salvation that he himself opened the gates of heaven for us, and we are so grateful. I'm standing in front of the high altar, those five green steps, right before the tabernacle, which is the gold box that inside resides Jesus. And everything around this location is drawing the eye towards Jesus, whose home resides right in front of you, at about head level, below the apse. Surrounding the tabernacle, on the right and left, are pink and green pillars. This is marble that's been imported from Europe. Even the white Carrera marble that depicts the crucifixion, and two angels attending Jesus at his halo right behind his head. 
a wonderful detail just above the white marble crucifixion scene is a bird. And you can see the bird's head reaching down to feed her little chicks. And their wings are spread out wide. This is the pelican, a wonderful symbol of Christ in that the mother is sacrificing herself for her children. It was thought in, in science long ago that, that the mother was beating her chest even to the point of creating her own wounds in order to feed her blood to her chicks. We've learned from science that actually pelicans will chew up little pieces of fish and serve them to her chicks by banging her chest and allowing that those little pieces to come out that looks as though she's bleeding herself, but not actually. Now we have the good science that explains it. But a wonderful image of that self-sacrificial mother. And that's what Our Lady of Consolation is, is sacrificing so much for us. We have, if we lower our vision below the tabernacle, and I look straight ahead at about nose level, I see a golden lamb with a flag. And that's depicting the resurrection of Jesus, the Lamb of God. Below the lamb is a book that has the seven seals mentioned in the book of Revelation that all capture the tradition and prediction and what would happen with the Lamb of God being that sacrificial um, Son of God that would open to us the gates of heaven. To the right and left are a wonderful detail that captures our locality here in Wyandotte County, Ohio, in that there are two Native Americans praying and praying with incense as their prayers rise up to heaven just like incense. Notice the, the, the hair is very representative of the Wyandotte Indians and the wings depicting the angelic uh, prayers that are rising upward to heaven. They were the first ones to pray here and so we recognize them as really making this a holy place long before we ever came in 1875. One of the Franciscan hallmarks that gives us a great sense of pride and joy is we see at head level the seals of the popes that start to the left at 9 o'clock going over to the right at 3 o'clock. And you see all seven of the papal seals of those Franciscan friars who elevated to the highest office as the Pope and leader of the church. We see Nicholas IV, who is from 1288 to 94, all the way to the last Pope, Pope Clement XIV, from 1769 to 1774. We are going to transition and move the same way we came into the sanctuary. We will pass the communion rail and take a right, right towards the transept. And you'll see above, the Stations of the Cross with Station 1 and Station 2, just above the exit sign. We are now standing in front of Our Lady of Sorrows altar. 
Notice the black marble. And Our Lady of Sorrows is in that sorrowful position, similar to the Pieta, but she's not having the body of Christ on her lap, but her expression is very sorrowful. And above her are written the words, All ye that pass by the way, attend and see if there be any sorrow like to my sorrow. Many pilgrims come here to express their sorrow to Our Lady because they're carrying a heavy cross and they light candles and ask for assistance and help. And then the gradual movement is they bring that to a mass that's said here and move to their right to our main altar, celebrate mass here. And it's only after sharing their sorrows that they then can approach Our Lady of Consolation on the other opposing side, where we'll be going next. But if we step forward up the three yellow steps, we will find the corpus of Jesus. Many people will have petitions on paper, and they will place it on the body of Jesus, taken down from the cross and placed in the tomb. A particularly wonderful tradition of many people and sometimes Jesus will be completely covered with paper and petitions and pleas from the people of God asking Mary to hear her sorrows. Another beautiful detail is up high above Our Lady of Sorrows you see the crown of thorns. We see the three nails that were hammered into the cross in the center of that crown of thorns, remembering that sorrow for her to witness the death of her son and following him on the way of the cross. Now we transition from Our Lady of Sorrows altar to Our Lady of Consolation altar. And we move from one transept or the fingers of our giant to the other side of the giant's fingers. And right above the exit sign, we will see the last two stations of the cross, station 14 and station 13. I'm standing in front of Our Lady of Consolation statue. She is dressed different colors throughout the year. She has a different color maybe that aligns with the liturgical year or from a pilgrim who had that dress made for her because their prayer was answered by Our Lady of Consolation. The tradition of Our Lady of Consolation comes from a country in Luxembourg when a seminarian in 1845 was going to school in Luxembourg and they were suffering a terrible outbreak of the cholera epidemic. Many were dying from the dirty water and it was an awful scene in the seminary when he saw so many of his classmates, so many of his friends dying around him. So he asked Our Lady of Consolation, please preserve my health so that I will be a priest and if I survive this, I will dedicate my first church to you, Our Lady of Consolation. Well, that seminarian didn't realize that he was going to be a missionary, come to the United States, here in Cary, Ohio, and his first assignment was St. Edward's Parish. 
And in 1875, he petitioned to have the name changed to Our Lady of Consolation. And he had a statue that was made in an exact replica of the Luxembourgian Our Lady of Consolation and delivered right here to Cary, Ohio. We are grateful for that priest, Father Joseph Gloden, who brought Our Lady of Consolation here from his homeland of Luxembourg. Let's step a little closer to Our Lady of Consolation and come up those three yellow steps. And if we get up close to her, we notice a couple of wonderful details. Uh, she also holds a scepter of power in her right hand. In her left hand, she's holding our Lord. She's holding Jesus Christ, her son. And she's always putting Jesus out there first. Many people think that miracles happen here uh, through Mary. No, it's always through her son, through putting Jesus first, that divine physician, that, that king of the universe. It's only by the holy will of the son that these wonderful things happen. She also has a couple wonderful details written at the bottom is Consolatrix Afflictorum, being Our Lady of Affliction, Our Lady of Consolation, and she's here to bring consolation to her pilgrims. You may notice that she's covered in plastic, and that's a protective measure. On our part, we're open 24-7, and a horrendous thing happened in 1927 when uh, someone reached up and took the statue down in the middle of the night and hid it from the pastor and the friars that all lived here. And it was from a cafe that he later, the thief called the pastor and said, I'm holding Our Lady of Consolation Ransom. You need to deliver $200 to me and you'll get Our Lady of Consolation back to you. Well, the pastor didn't respond pastor was one of the first Franciscans here, Alois Fish. And Alois Fish said, let's just wait this out a little longer. And the thief got more pressing and more pressing in trying to reach him. And it was on a phone call that the sheriff's son overheard the call being made from this public telephone and said, hey, I think the thief is right here. Turns out they caught him and found out that he had been stealing from over 7,000 churches, holding all kinds of things ransom, and having the pastors pay him money. Well, he had to go to jail for it, and he died in jail. Crime definitely doesn't pay off. But now we have a protective uh, case around our late consolation so that she doesn't get tampered with, or people come and take things from her. Looking above Mary's head, you can see her crown placed upon her as queen of the universe, and also a crown over Jesus's head, being Christ the king. And Mary's crown is quite unique in that we've had uh, many different exquisite crowns placed upon her head. One that's most famous is the pilgrim crown that has many gems within it and, and is worth an untold amount of, of dollars. And it was a sad story in the 90s when someone had reached in and stolen the crown and taken the crown off. 
And we later had the crown returned to us with all the jewels missing from it. A pawn shop had alerted us that the crown was indeed in their possession. And so we were able to get the crown back, but we lost all the jewels. So now, as you can see, those are all imitation jewels in those crowns. Uh, but we do have the real ones um, in a safe keeping. At this point, we're going to turn things over to our pastor, Father Tom, who's going to share some information about our beautiful stained glass windows. We now move from Our Lady of Consolation altar, and we face the west side of the church. The beautiful window that we are about to explain is located directly above the alcove with our infant of Prague and St. Francis and St. Anthony. We're now looking at the two largest windows in this church, and at the time they were installed in 1928, they were among the largest stained glass windows in the United States. Both of them were made by the E.M. Fry Company out of St. Louis, Missouri. They both had German origins because the cartoons, which are the drawings for the windows, all of the instructions on the back of the photos are written in German. If we notice the predominant color, of course, in our Blessed Mother, according to Catholics, is blue. And we will see different scenes from the life of Mary. If you notice, the, the windows are arched, and so we will ta- start at the top of the middle of the arch, where Mary is being crowned by her son Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit. Following below, we have Mary and St. John at the foot of the cross. And following below, we have when Mary and Joseph were the happy parents of Jesus. The side view of the windows, the outer, the outer panels, begin with the birth of Mary and go through prominent scenes in her life and end up with the death of Mary, or what is called the Dormition, or what we as Catholics also know as the Assumption. Now we're moving from what we call the blue window, predominantly because that is Mary's color, to the east side of the church, located between the second and third station, which is known as the red window. The red symbolizes, it is worn by Jesus as a symbol of his love and humanity for us. Located in the middle of the second and third station of the cross and above, we see the second largest window in this church. This is called the Jesus window. The outer panels in the arch depict the miracles of Christ. The center panel depicts the history of the Judeo-Christian sacrifice, beginning with Jesus teaching his apostles to the sacrifice of Melchizedek, to the sacrifice of Abraham and Isaac, and finally the top center 
where the priest is offering the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Now we turn from the east window of the church, the red window, and looking directly up above the organ loft, we see on the north side of the church the rose window. Rose window is a term that is used because many of these windows resembled the flowers of the rose. This window reflects a prophetic theme and a kingly theme, of course, which refer to Jesus Christ. The smaller lunettes on the outside of the window are the major prophets in the Old Testament, followed by the center window, the center lunette, which is, of course, Jesus Christ, priest, prophet, and king. Walking away from the main altar in the sanctuary toward the entrance to the church, we see four windows, two on the west and two on the east. Time does not permit to explain the beautiful detail in these windows, but they do have a common theme, both the two on the west and the two on the east. They are concerned with the prophets. All of the significant prophets in the Old Testament are pictured here with the theme of sacrifice and carrying out God's command. Continuing our walk from the main altar toward the entrance doors, we make a turn to the right to see a small framed picture with a document written in Latin. This document, which was proclaimed by Paul VI in the ninth year of his pontificate in 1971, declared that the Church of Our Lady of Consolation would be raised to the honor of a minor basilica. In the state of Ohio, there are five minor basilicas. There are only four major basilicas in the world, the only four of them, St. Peter's, St. John Lateran, St. Mary Major, and St. Paul outside the walls are located in Rome. A basilica is given to a particular church because of its beauty and also because it is often a place of prayer and pilgrimage. There are three major buildings on this property that are churches. The first one, of course, is the original church dedicated to St. Edward, built in 1867. That little church stood on this spot on the corner of clay until it was moved in 1901. Then the, they started building the, the lower church, which was started in 1901 and completed in 1907. It was always intended to be a basement church and a foundation for the large basilica that would soon be built. Plans for the church were drawn up in 1914, but with the advent of World War I, building was delayed. The cornerstone was solemnly laid in 1919, and from then the work began to progress slowly and proceeded more rapidly with the end of World War I. The first company that built the outside structure built it in a Romanesque and a basilica style with some touches of Byzantine architecture. After the outside was completed, then laborers came and did all the plaster work and the ornamental work which you see throughout the church. That was in the early 1920s. 
1926, the windows that we have been speaking about were installed with great care with storm windows placed on the outside. And finally, the altars, which were built in New York and carved out of different marbles, were carved and placed in their places in 1928, but they were not solemnly dedicated until 1930. Moving just to the left of the document proclaiming the Semina Basilica in 1971, we pass for the large double doors located in the center of the church as we make our way to the vestibule. Notice on the different walls in the vestibule the names of our benefactors. Basically the word benefactor coming from the Latin means a good doer, someone who does something good. And all the names you see written here are the people who made this basilica possible. Through the sacrifices of many, a dream became a reality. We continue to rely on your prayers and support, following in the footsteps of these good people who erected this beautiful building to the honor and glory of God and of his blessed mother. We thank you for your generosity and support, and may God bless you always. Our next location is we'll be moving from the vestibule to the main altar. I want you to walk down the center aisle and stop at the last pew in the back of church and look upward toward the ceiling. going to be looking upward toward the vaulted ceiling. And in the vaulted ceiling you'll see medallions or circles of yellow flowers wrapped around a particular symbol. They're between each of the ribbed sections of the ceiling in the high vaulted regions. A medallion. This is a circle that has two letters wrapped together, A and M, for Ave Maria. It's a big capital A and two M's. And we call this a medallion because it has a circular formation and flowers coming out from uh, the center. Ave Maria captures that prayer that we know so well in the rosary of Hail Mary and that wonderful title. To the mother of God. From the vestibule, I see now moving into the next ribbed section where we have another center medallion way up high above your head. I see four couplets of letters outlined in red, and the letters are I C X C N I K A. And these letters, when uh, explained in Greek, would translate to Christ conquers all. And what a beautiful thing, because this is right above the nave, right above the assembly of the people who are offering up their, pr their prayers upward. And as they hit this medallion, Christ will conquer all through their prayer petitions and the answers coming from him. 
We are moving forward down the center aisle towards the main altar, and we're going to stop about midway with the pillars on our right and on our left, and this is the hips of our giant, the crossover that marks up above the four evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I am standing right below the rotunda that has the Lamb of God in the center of the rotunda at the four points, the four evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And there you see the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who was mentioned in the book of Revelation, marked by those seven seals right below the golden Lamb of God and the center of the nave. This is an oppressive point in every Mass because we're remembering Jesus who takes away all sins. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We don't say it once. We don't say it twice. We say it three times every Mass to remind us of the, the, the influence of Jesus on our everyday and also on our eternal call toward home. In every church, there are many different angels. And the Basilica of Our Lady of Consolation is no different. There are nine choirs of angels. Seraphic angel that you'll see high on the walls. I challenge you to look and to see and to count and discover. And don't forget the angel over your shoulder. In the first sphere, there are seraphim cherubim and thrones. Those seraphim are the six winged angels, the real big ones. In the second sphere, there are dominions, virtues, and powers. And in the third sphere, there are principalities, angels, and archangels. I challenge you now to stop the recording, press pause, and see how many angels you can find. It might be just a little baby face of a cherub. It might be a giant six-winged. We are moving forward up the center aisle closer to the main altar, right where we began this audio walking tour. We see again the Patier cross that is a green marble in the floor looking like two crossed chalices. Looking directly over your head, we are now right below the fifth medallion. We want to point out, because this is a wonderful experience in linguistics, we've had a little Greek, we've had a little Latin, and now we have more Greek. Right above us, I see the letters I-H-S. And the I would translate into a J that was very difficult to carve and mark and the H and the S would be son of God so the the J would be Jesus son of God or IHS translated in Greek and we often see that sign that's on the Eucharist host Uh, many times during mass as the priest holds that host up you'll see those letters I 
HS. And fittingly, it's right above the main altar. Now, if I were to traverse all the way to the sides to, toward our transepts, the ends of the fingers of our giant laying on his back, I look above those exit doors and I see two angels with straight outspread wings that are representing those sorrows that Christ went through in the crucifixion. We can see in the hands of these angels symbols of the pain and the suffering of the crucifixion. And we remember that whenever we say the sorrowful mysteries of the rosary. And we remember that difficult pain of the way of the cross, of the crucifixion, of the agony in the garden, of the scourging at the pillar, of that tragic moment of crucifixion. From the angels with the flat wings, we take a look on the next story up, and we go higher, and we're looking at white windows, specifically twin windows in the shape of a tablet, as though the tablet of the Ten Commandments. And each window is the same shape as each other, about four feet in height. These twin windows are all around the upper story of the basilica. If you count them, you will see that there's 12 twin windows. And right above each of the twin windows, you'll see again our Patier cross. Only this time, the arms of the cross are much skinnier. This is a smaller version of the healing cross the Patier Cross, that marks a shrine as a place of healing. Every time we celebrate Mass or the Divine Liturgy, we remember those tragic, sorrowful moments in the life of Jesus and come as a community gathered around this main altar. I want to thank you for being part of this audio walking tour. My name is Friar John. And mine is Father Tom. It's been a joy to have you with us, and I hope that you will come back to the shrine because you experienced just a small little gem of these wonderful treasures here in Cary, Ohio. And if you'd like to know more about our Mass times, different services that we have, please visit our website at www.olcshrine.com.